0: And now, an Arizona PBS original production. Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you. Welcome to Books and Company, bienvenidos todos. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by novelist Christina Alger talking about her latest book, The Banker's Wife, published by Putnam. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is this is a book that is a lot of fun to read. It's very fast reading, and we'll talk about why that is soon. But perhaps we'll start with a little bit of a synopsis. Could you sure. tell us what the book is about?
1: So in the opening pages of the book, um, you see a man and a woman get aboard a private jet in London, and the plane never lands in Geneva. And you come to learn that aboard the private jet was a private banker who worked at a Swiss bank um, named Math- Matthew Warner. And the book then splits into two um there are two protagonists one is matthew's wife annabelle who goes on a quest to figure out what happened to her husband and the other is a woman named marina Torneau, who's a journalist who's been investigating the swiss bank that matthew works for so goes
0: from there. On we go. Uh, (laughs) Hijinks ensue, as it were. Hijinks ensue, exactly. Okay, I want to begin with the question I was going to ask you last. Mm -hmm. And I I heard this referred to as a financial thriller, which I had never heard before, (laughs) but I love it. And my question is, How do you make finance thrilling? thrilling?
1: (laughs) I know, I get that a lot. So it's funny, when my first novel, The Darlings, came out, Mm -hmm. that was set in, um, also sort of referred to as a financial thriller, Mm -hmm. and there was one headline that said, you know, is a financial thriller an oxymoron? And I thought, oh, God, (laughs) oh, God, I think a lot of people might think it is. Um, So I, you know, I I worked in finance for a long time. I personally think finance can be fascinating, and it's really just kind of a jumping-off place to talk about all kinds of very well-financed, political and economic well, we'll, we'll come
0: back to your particular <laughs> background that, that, that suits, you know, it, you are well positioned to write a book like this. But, but that idea of finance mm-hmm. and what makes it thrilling, I, it, it strikes me as it's a Robin Hood tale.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course. Right? I mean, I'm, you know, I think every person who writes me an email that says I know nothing about finance, but I loved this book so mm-hmm. much, just mm-hmm. it makes me so happy because yeah. I, I just I want people to not be scared or sort of turned off by the financial terminology in the books. And. I think some of the best, you know, movies and books that I've seen and shows that I've watched recently are in the sort of financial genre, so.
0: Well, what is interesting about it is it is completely complex. Yeah. But the book is not necessarily. I, I tried
1: <laughs> to make it as, right? yes. It, it
0: reads clearly, and I don't. I didn't ever feel lost. There's nothing Good. to be scared of, certainly. <laughs> but it it is the world of high finance, and it is, you know, 20 iterations more than I know about, Keeping my bank account straight. <laughs>
1: it was for me too. So yeah. I mean, offshore banking is a whole world that I and that's had the not... key.
0: Offshore <laughs> banking. That's a, that. Yeah. That's what you're really writing about.
1: Yeah, and it's a world that people don't know that much about, yeah. which I thought made it sort of inherently fun. Um, and it was really fun to research. Um, so I obviously I don't have offshore bank accounts either. <laughs> um, so it was a it was a learning experience for me. But it was um, it's really fun research. I mean, it's you know you're talking about huge amounts of money and you know, really important people. And so it's a really, um, I mean, it's an enormous industry. I read an an article last week when I was preparing to go on book tour that said that 15% of the world's GDP is now held offshore.
0: Oh, that was a
1: really striking, I mean, when you think about it, you know, it's trillions of dollars. That amount
0: of money, yeah, we are talking (laughs) trillions easily. Yeah. And of course, I suppose if you are uh, a country with laws and taxation—that—that yes. that means something substantial.
1: Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and um, so anyway, I, I had a lot of fun researching the book, and hopefully, people enjoy reading about it. You
0: know, what's funny about this uh, offshore bank accounts? is sort of like when you read uh, in in all crime thrillers and whatever about burner phones, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where does everybody get these things? (laughs) At the burner phone store or (laughs) the the offshore bank account bank? Where is that? I know.
1: Well, I I had the same question. So I started really researching. I mean, the the story that inspired this book was the Panama Papers, which I couldn't stop reading about it. And what I found so fascinating, especially having been a lawyer for a long time, Mm Was that in the Panama Papers? um, It was a data leak that came out of an offshore bank, um, offshore law firm rather. And it was the law firm that was really setting up these offshore bank accounts for clients. So they were serving as kind of the middleman between the people storing money in offshore accounts and the offshore bank. And I didn't know that existed. Hmm. I didn't know there were these, yeah. you know, incredibly sort of mysterious cloak and dagger law firms that did this. And hmm. so for me, that was sort of utterly fascinating. And that's what sparked my interest in the topic.
0: I think the seed in all of this is simply the word secrets,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? <laughs> uh, the yeah. Whatever. And so it, it feels to me that it's tethered to maybe even going back to all the president's men. I'm sure we could mm-hmm. go back way back. But but in, in contemporary thought, I mean, all the president's men, those secrets, mm-hmm. and then all the way up to WikiLeaks and yeah. whatever. Because your, your book, we're not going to give any plot points away, <laughs> but, but it's about offshore banking and some potential disclosures about that, that right. nobody... Nobody who's got that offshore account wants to have happen.
1: Right, so. of course. Well, I mean that's the only reason, or you know, what I came to the conclusion I couldn't think of a really good reason why anyone would have money offshore. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure there are good You're reasons. You're a good person. <laughs> um, but it does seem, you know, it's it's inherently mysterious, and you know they're they, they're just numbered accounts, and so in in general, it seemed to me that people are largely using them for illicit purposes.
0: Mm. Nevertheless, it seems to me I'd like to have one because they always seem to have <laughs> like 20 bajillion <laughs> they dollars. They all do. Them, yes, you know? I know. Exactly. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, you now, you, you are an attorney yourself mm-hmm. and you've you've been in the world of high finance. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? I mean, that's sure. that clearly positions you well to 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 speak to this in a book that, that is, in theory, fiction. But it's not based on fiction. Mm-hmm. It's based on practice.
1: So I, um, I grew up in a family, my father was a mutual fund manager and my mom was a banker as well. Um, so I grew up sort of around the world of finance. I was always a book nerd. So I went to college and became an English major and I thought I was gonna go become a professor and read, which is what I like to do. <laughs> um, and then my father passed away when I was in college and I wanted to move back to New York and I wanted to get a job that made enough money so that my mom didn't worry about me. Mm. And there was a drop box in the hallway um, for Goldman Sachs resumes. And so I dropped my resume uh, in Wait a minute, a drop box in the hallway? In the hallway of our dormitory. <laughs> and Where so did you go to school? I went to Harvard. So. <laughs> well, okay, all right. So <laughs> Goldman did a lot of recruiting there and I got hired into their <laughs> analyst program. And they were one of the few banks that hired people without any um, financial background. So there were a lot of a lot of students that came out of Michigan and mm-hmm. Wharton um, who knew a lot more than I did. Um, but it was a really quick and slightly painful education mm-hmm. in finance for me. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was fascinating and it was a really good education for me because I had been studying pre 1600 Shakespearean literature. Sure. Sure. Um, so I did my the two year analyst program at Goldman, and then I went to law school. And because I had worked at Goldman, I became all the firms wanted me to work in their corporate department. So, you know, ten years later, I was still sort of working in finance. Um, but that's, were you happy doing that? I, you know, I I was. Um, I worked with a lot of brilliant people, mm-hmm. um, and that was made it worth it for me. Um, and. I, my work was really interesting. I mean, I came out of law school right before the financial crisis hit. Wow. And so I was...
0: That's timing. It was,
1: yes. But, um, you know, it was was an interesting intellectual time to be working in kind of bankruptcy work Mm -hmm. and M&A work, which is what I did. So. So again, I guess that's why I think finance is interesting because I sort of worked on big, interesting cases at the time, Mm. Um, but I've always loved to read and write, and so it's been nice to kind of seg into a more creative Just one more follow-up
0: on that. You've loved working on cases, but they seem to take years to resolve. They do,
1: they do, and um, it's, yeah, I know it's, You know, it's very, um, it's stressful and exhausting and I spent a lot of time living in small cities where I didn't know anyone, you know, and Mm -hmm. was only there just to look at bankrupt companies. Mm -hmm. So that's actually how I wrote my first book. I Mm -hmm. had a lot of free time sort of.
0: Well, that's one of the points I'm getting at. It it seems to take years for cases to resolve. But in a in a book like this, in your book in particular, <laughs> you get right to it. Yeah, you and have to. Exciting. Yeah, that's exciting, and it, it it's something <laughs> of the, the you know the, the spirit of our times. We want something to get done.
1: I know it's funny. The darlings, I I started out the, thinking the, the darlings. We should mention. I'm is, sorry, it's my first book. book. Yes. Okay. So I thought at the time I was going to write a thriller set in the world of finance, and it really turned into a family drama. Hmm. Um, but one of the things I realized, and it was, you know, writing your first, writing every book is a learning experience. But, um, I, you know, I think I, I learned that I really wanted to be writing thrillers. And so you had, I have to keep the pace sort of moving quickly. And that's one way to not get bogged down in sort of slightly boring, dry financial details. So <laughs> um, anyway, that's why this book is a thriller.
0: So when you were writing mm-hmm. and you are, f- f- you know, thinking freely and you're just zooming along, mm-hmm. Along that pathway, you happen to mention names like Bashir al-Assad mm-hmm. and Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. Does that scare you at all? <laughs>
1: It's funny. One of my one of my closest friends is a book blogger, um, Andrea Katz, who's has a wonderful book blog, and she's friends with a lot of authors. And she was one of the first people to read the full draft of this. Mm-hmm. And she called me and she was like, "Girl, you uh, need to change names. Yep. <laughs> I'm worried for you." Um, but you know, I wanted this book is a timely book, and I, I felt like it was it's grounded in in real news stories, and so I wanted to keep some level of authenticity. So I did. And they're public use, figures. They so are you, public you figures. You get to say
0: yeah. Ineffective way, mm-hmm. uh, things like that about them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, I don't know whether to look around. Has happened yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been out for two weeks, and we'll see how it goes. Okay,
0: okay. Does that scare you at all? I'm. I'm, I'm I mean, that as a sincere question, because it's it doesn't stop there. You're going to keep writing. I am, and you want that freedom to be able to say what the imagine asks of you. Imagination asks of you. hmm But sometimes it's a little tricky.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know one of the one of the books, as I was writing this book, I realized that it was more increasingly important for me that the one of the protagonists, Marina, is a journalist. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in the sort of political climate that we live in where there's a lot of conflict between, you know, what's real news, what's fake news, there are journalists out there that are doing incredibly important work and they're risking their lives to get the truth out there. And that's mm-hmm. sort of one of the things that I realized was the most important to me in telling this story. And the journalists that. Um, you know jointly investigated the Panama papers case mm-hmm. and it was sort of a collaborative effort were truly putting their life on the line I mean it was a very scary thing for them to reveal the names of the people that had all this money offshore and so you know I think um, I think it's important for if people feel that there are stories that should be told and mm-hmm. I felt like this is a story that should be told mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's what well, we're and, here
0: for. And you, you mentioned a very interesting kind of braiding process that you mm-hmm. use primarily two voices, mm-hmm. two points of view really, uh, with an occasional third or like Zoe comes mm-hmm. in, you've got, you've got this, another character, some others, um, in, in the midst of what have, could have been a complex orchestration of a hundred voices, you have a duet.
1: I do. I did have a duet, and that wasn't. I didn't start out that way. So I, I couldn't decide. I knew the story I wanted to tell, and I wasn't sure whose perspective I wanted to use. I knew that I wanted to have a strong female narrator that was important to me, hmm. um, and so I loved the concept of um, a sort of underlying domestic drama of a wife sort of mm-hmm. not knowing if she knew who her husband was, um, and and then I also loved the the idea of a journalist who's really mm-hmm. digging into this story. And so I actually started writing two separate drafts yeah. to see which one resonated more. And I just loved both characters. And so I ended up braiding them together.
0: I'd like to just take a moment to remind our viewers you're watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We're joined today by Christina Alger, talking about her latest financial thriller, The Banker's Wife. Well, in in writing about uh, the The idea of a strong woman mm-hmm. and and you say you 've got two characters you get to do it it 's almost like cubism you get to you get to write yeah. it from different perspectives and and in the midst of finance you 're doing a sociological thing as well, which I think is is very cool
1: it was It was really cool to write. it was a lot of fun, so hopefully readers enjoy it
0: Well, how did you write it? Let me ask it to you let me ask you this way: what gives you the idea of writing a thriller Mm -hmm. you the author i'm sitting around i'm in the park or i'm at home and kids are doing something and where does it come from
1: so i i grew up reading thrillers um my father was a big thriller reader and i'm i was you know, his only child, so we would sit around and I would try desperately to do whatever he was doing. Um, so I, I think I started reading, I was saying to someone earlier, I think I started reading thrillers at a very age-inappropriate you know, <laughs> time, um, but I really wanted to read what he was reading. And so I sort of grew up reading, you know, John Grisham and Tom yeah. Clancy and Nelson DeMille. And um, for me, it made reading fun, and thrillers, I think, are, you know, inherently engaging and exciting. And so being able to write them has always been sort of a dream of mine.
0: Well, and now you're doing it. But how do you do it? Do you map it all out ahead of time? So do you this have I a did. war room? What do you <laughs> I do? I wish I had a war
1: room. No. Um, I live in a small apartment in New York City with two small children, so every room so is a, a little, playroom. a
0: skirmish room. I
1: have a, um, but I, I do, I did map this one out because I do think in order to keep the plot moving along quickly and sort of efficiently in a thriller, you have to have a little bit of a road map, um, mm-hmm. especially when it's told from two different perspectives. Um, you know, it's um, if you change one thing, you have to go back and change a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So I did map this out. Um, and then the, the one surprise character who you mentioned briefly was Zoe. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be told entirely from the the perspective of Annabelle and Marina. Mm -hmm. And she just sort of snuck up on me and I, I liked her, her spirit and her chutzpah. So she became a bigger character than I thought she would.
0: I thought she, well, (laughs) she worked well in, in the, in the mix. Um, and, and actually that sort of is part and parcel of the of the plot, mm-hmm. surprises happen. Yes,
1: yeah, surprises. <laughs> surprises do happen. So, yeah, she was a surprise to me. <laughs> oh,
0: well, in in uh, in writing it, can you? Our are, our are, are viewers are, are are interested in how you literally physically go about it. Are you a computer person? I am. You don't. So you don't write longhand, or you don't do that sort of thing.
1: I write out um, the outline on note cards, and I put them up on a cork board. Um, okay. Just it helps me visualize. So I'm moving scene to scene. I try. I try and see my books, I I write, I think, in a sort of cinematic way, and I don't mean that as a compliment to myself, but I try and visualize each chapter as a scene the way one would see it. Um, And so I write an individual note card for each scene, and then I start writing. Um, And the first draft, I try and push through without being too perfectionistic about it. and I have a fabulous editor, Sally Kim. So she sees it pr- pretty quickly after it's pretty raw. Uh, pretty raw, okay. um, but
0: then you have you have a great editor.
1: I, I do <laughs> I do. She's wonderful. So, but this book um, I spent a lot of time outlining, and so the writing part of it came fairly quickly.
0: Just uh, out of curiosity, do you use a program of any sort, or do you just you just do it? No,
1: I'm too much so. of a luddite for that. So okay. I just use Microsoft Word. Works for me.
0: Okay. <laughs> Um, let me ask you a question now. We, we talked about uh, the cubism of mm-hmm. m- writing about more than one woman and, and yet exploring that notion of a strong woman character.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you also invoke here a great deal of internationalism. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the U.S. that you're talking about, not just when we think of finance, we're thinking about our finances, and right. this country's finance. We forget we're part of a global economy as we're hearing over and over. How did internationalism play into this and was, I I don't think you could have written the book without it.
1: No, certainly not. I mean, honestly, offshore banking is, you know, it is a very global business. So, um, I mean, these banks are headquartered, you know, largely in Switzerland or the Cayman Islands because of the tax laws um, in those countries, but, you know, there are people banking there from all over the world. And so it's really, um, it's a very international kind of, what I like to think of as a shadow economy that a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't know exists. Mm -hmm. And it's really the sort of 1% of the 1% that uses the system, and it's global. Um, So that was an important part of the story for me. And I also, it was just fun to get to bounce from place to place. And so the book takes you from Geneva to London to Paris, and it's exciting.
0: And you you spend some time uh, working with the siren idea of beauty. Mm -hmm. People are looking out windows a lot, Mm -hmm. and they're seeing these magnificent vistas, and they know... If they do what they're about to do, they're going to give that up.
1: Yeah. So Annabelle, um, Matthew's widow, is she was at one time worked in the art world, and so visual beauty is very important to her. And I think also it's it's important to me. And you know, mm-hmm. one of the fun parts about setting a book, getting to choose your location, is you can set it in beautiful places.
0: And you, in that process, and in describing her, you you spend a lot of time. You make mention that she has a good attention. Uh, for detail, mm-hmm. and that comes from looking at paintings. Yeah, but it, it it's transferable as
1: a it's as tra- a, a talent. Tra- <laughs> Luckily for her, yes. Yeah. So I mean, part of the book, the premise of the book was, you know, she's an expat. She's given up her career mm-hmm. to move to Geneva for her husband's job. And the reason I chose the title, The Banker's Wife, or we at Putnam collectively chose the (laughs) title, is um, she's really someone who's struggling with her sense of identity, um, being married to this very successful, wealthy man. And so when he dies, she's a little bit adrift and has to sort of fall back on her own, sort of dig deep and find Mm -hmm. this sort of her own skill set and remember why, you know, who she was before she was married and, you know, what she's good at to sort of get herself out of this quagmire that she finds herself in.
0: Complicit in that is technology. She, yes. in, in, in some ways, instead of just going to uh, uh, the highest, the best computer she could get and deep thinking computer, she goes back to microfiche. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, and it's um, and as does Marina. So Marina's, you know, they're... did I get that
0: wrong? It was it was Marina. Who did.
1: No, no, Annabelle does. Okay. Goes to microfiche, but okay. Annabelle is also. I mean, Marina is also transporting data on USBs, and right. um, and it's one of the very reasons physical. I did. It's very physical. <laughs> um, one of the things I found so fascinating in the Panama Papers case was that the. Journalists in that case were sort of reliant on, they were so scared of being hacked while they were breaking this case that they sort of fell back on, you know, archaic, very basic methods of communicating. And so that's, I loved weaving that detail in that they sort of went back to, you know, actually handing people manila folders filled with information. It was kind Mm -hmm. of fun. And full laptop, a lot of laptop computers here that, laptops, that, that yeah. seem to have a major role in things, and
0: yeah. uh, a lot of data apparently can can uh, be on a an encrypted
1: an encrypted laptop.
0: Where do you go again? To the encryption store to- get <laughs>
1: I don't know. It's I funny. I read a I watched a 60-minute interview <laughs> with a with an a banker, a Swiss banker named Bradley Birkenfeld who okay. ended up being a whistleblower. Um. And it was a fascinating story. He he worked for UBS Bank, he was a private banker. He sort of saw the writing on the wall and ended up turning over his Rolodex of clients hmm. to the DOJ. And they ended up prosecuting him anyway. You he make that point. He went to prison. Yeah. <laughs> and then he came out of jail and was handed the largest whistleblower award by the IRS that's ever been given. So wow. it was $114 million. Um, but I thought he was a totally fascinating character. And he carried around an encrypted laptop. So my private banker did there too. You go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you make that point And it is. It is um... Shocking in the moment that it's mm-hmm. said that somebody who may be whistleblowing is not immune from being not, prosecuted. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, presuming they don't cooperate or whatever, but I'm... You know.
1: I was shocked by... And Bradley Birkenfeld was certainly shocked by that. Yeah. But um, yes, he went to prison for what his his role in tax evasion, so...
0: But then you have that other part that you... The IRS will give you, in theory, as they point out, up to...
1: Up to 30%,
0: right. Of, of uh, whatever's recovered. Mm-hmm. And if we were talking about trillions and trillions of dollars, that, that can add it, up.
1: It's a big, yes, it's a large okay. number.
0: Well, w- w- when you are... Um, writing. Are you thinking that you are setting out to please yourself, the writer, or your readers, the readers? You know?
1: I try not to think about the readers. Okay. Um, and maybe it sounds narcissistic, but I'm trying to just write for myself. I mm-hmm. try and think if I would enjoy this, and this is something I would pull off the shelf, then I hope other people will too. So that's, that's what I try and think so about uh,
0: while I write. thrillers move quickly. Yes. And so you must have that mindset of, of wanting to get
1: I to do. The next, to the next, I'm to the, a New Yorker. We okay. read quickly.
0: <laughs> and it plays um, out on the page. I mean, it, it's it's true. It's true.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, especially I have two little kids, and there's a lot of great television on these days, and there's a lot of things competing for my time. So I like books that draw you in and sort of keep mm-hmm. you wrapped, or you just want to find out what happens on the next page.
0: They're probably not old enough to know you're a writer or what that means yet, are they?
1: <laughs> they yeah, they're starting. Of, we brought them to, I did a. a in conversation at Barnes and Noble last week with Lee Child. And so I thought it was such a cool event that we brought my children and Emma announced loudly that it was boring. And so my (laughs) husband snuck her out, but they, they're starting to understand and we read a lot together. So they know it's important to me.
0: Well, it's going to be an interesting crossroads, uh, literary directions or financial directions or legal Mm -hmm. directions. And and what I think you're showing us is all three can go together.
1: I hope right. so. Okay. I hope so.
0: Well, you were an English major for a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So you have a sense of what the idea of a book should be, right? It's I a,
1: hope so. Yeah. No.
0: And, and, and what, I, what I think is interesting is there's a trajectory here. Mm-hmm. You can't let go of an idea. We think that when we finish a book, we're done. But this book mentions your previous book, The Darlings.
1: It does. Yeah.
0: And so I have to guess there's going to be a book after this.
1: Well, you know, Marina was just a character that I... She was a minor character in my first book, so you don't have to read my first book to read Mm -hmm. this one, but I... People kept asking me about her, like, what happens to her? And <laughs> so I just liked the idea of having, you know, pulling a couple of characters in from my first book. And I like having that sort of strand of continuity, and some of writers that I admire have done it as well. So mm-hmm. maybe in the next one I'll have to draw someone in from this book.
0: <laughs> it's interesting, the, the 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 mentions of the darlings, which I'm sorry I hadn't read, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't bother me uh, one bit. I think you just you just said enough. and
1: I uh, tried to do it as a nod to people that read it, but not... Yeah to make people feel as though they needed to read it to read this one.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, so in the next book, if you do end up mentioning this, (laughs) would you say you're, you're in this field now, this is it.
1: I think so. Um, I'm, I'm sort of almost done with a thriller that should come out in another year or so. So, um, It is not a financial thriller, <laughs> although it does have financiers in it.
0: Okay, so. fair enough. <laughs> well, with that, I want to thank you, and thank I want to so thank much. our viewers. You've been watching Books and Company. I'm your host, Alberto Rios. We've been joined today by Christina Alger talking about her financial thriller, The Banker's Wife. Please join us again next time when we'll be bringing you Another Good Book.
1: Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much.
0: Books and Company is made possible by the Department of English at Arizona State University and by the Friends of Arizona PBS, members of Arizona PBS who give additional gifts to support original programs. Thank you.